Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter podcast. In this podcast, I'm talking with Catherine Boddy about cancer that she has fairly recently, um, at the age of 38, gone through breast cancer and the treatment, the diagnosis, the treatment, um, and is currently clear. So that that's wonderful. But uh, I really appreciated her giving me her time to talk about how her experiences of cancer, what effect it had on her and her family, and what effect it's still having on her now, at least mentally. So I hope you find the podcast really useful and interesting. Okay, Catherine, thank you very much for meeting with me today. We're here in this pub, so there's a bit of clinking in the background. Um, and we're to talk, here to talk about um, your cancer, do you call it a cancer journey? Do you call it, how do you think of it in your mind? Um, I don't, not, yeah, journey might be one way, I think, uh, experience. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, is a, another one. Um, it is a journey in some ways, but it's also... It's not, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's sort of, there's a finite, well, I hope there's a finite end, <laughs> end to, to this experience as yes, well. Yes, you've um, arrived. <laughs> well, kind of, yes, yeah. although in actual fact, you sort of probably do always live with it. So in some yes. ways, um, with the kind of experience of it, but also the sort of uh, knowledge that it may come back, especially within the first 10 years. Um, right. After, yes. well, it, def- within the first, within those 10 years, if it's going to come back that's when it would come back so Mm. there is always this sort of consciousness of that yes so um well we'll think about that but uh in the sort of the style of the abba the day before you came can you paint a picture of your life before the diagnosis um well i have four children um and um i recently and six months before i was diagnosed or actually less um i started part-time working having taken a long time off um, since my first was my eldest was born um so that was quite exciting obviously to sort of go back even two days a week <laughs> as a librarian um into the world of work um and otherwise I um you know a full-time mother um, prior to that and um various involved in various different organizations and charities um and, and running the PTA and that sort of thing at school. Um, so sort of keeping myself quite busy and ticking over in a fairly sort of pleasant way. Um, nothing too spectacular, yeah. Um, how, how old were your children at that point? When I was diagnosed? Yeah. Um, my children were um, thir- 13, 12, 10 and 9. Right. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. <laughs> so many of them. Yes. How old are they now? How long ago was that then? That was um, a year and a year and a quarter ago. Right. Yeah. So, so it was in November 2018. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, and what happened? What led up to the diagnosis? What symptoms did you have? Um, very. It was very quick. Um, so I was just putting some moisturizer on, and on my um, upper left breast I was just rubbing it in and it was just sort of on the, on the thinner bit up there um, and just felt a little lump uh, like a sort of marble size sort of feel mm-hmm. quite hard and I thought oh well, that's a bit weird um, I should get it checked out um, and I was sort of slightly kind of dragging my feet on doing that just because you know you think oh it's 
just don't want to engage with that even mm. the idea and then and was it was it a sort of not wanting to find out or just too busy I imagine um, I a bit of both busy. or just yeah. thinking oh it's probably nothing mm-hmm. so you know and being there's no rush sort of thing you don't be you know panicking about something little um and then so I went to the GP um and um they said oh it's probably just a cyst but it, Obviously, they have a policy of taking these things, luckily, um, seriously. Yes. So then they referred me um, to see an oncologist. Um, and um, then I got an appointment two weeks down the line for to see a, a specialist. Um, but my husband was like, well, that's too long. <laughs> and so and it, we, he very luckily had... Um, had uh, health insurance, so he sort right. of rang up some uh, someone. He found top of the list of, of uh, people on, on his health insurance um, website. And so I went to see a consultant quite qu- much quicker, so that would have been um, a week after I'd seen the GP. Uh, I saw the consultant. So I saw him on the Monday um, and at the same time had a... Uh, they do a um, biopsy and before that they had a um, uh, what do you have you know when you're pregnant the same oh, um, uh, a, uh, ultrasound. ultrasound exactly because I was young yes. depending on how your age it's different and an ultrasound and a mammogram right. um, why, and do they, I, why do they do an ultrasound on younger people um, I think it's something to the consistency of mm. the breast tissue right um, right so uh, it's, I think it's basically you get slightly lumpier as you get older or oh, sort yes, of yeah. denser, denser right, right. which makes it harder to sort of see things like oh, ultrasound, okay. whereas if you're younger, it's sort of a little bit easier, apparently. I mean, they, they also do the mammogram too, which is more common. Um, but I knew when the, uh, the uh, lady was doing the ultrasound and I could sort of see the screen and I'd done a bit of research before I'd gone along I, I knew it wasn't good oh really yeah um it just looked like I mean they say it's cancer it's from because cancer looks a bit like a, a crab or something it's got those little arms off it oh, right I could just see that on the screen oh, it was it this? looked like a sort of blob with a sort of oh. like a sun with beams coming off it oh, right right um, yeah. and it was uh, solid rather than a cyst which would have been like a kind of liquid in in a kind of you know casing oh I see anyway I, I so I kind of so I went so came back to the, see the consultant and he looked quite serious and said it, it's not good was that straight away then? that was yes within a period of an hour this was oh, all okay. happened yeah, biopsy was probably one of the worst things in the whole experience of having cancer really why was <laughs> Which, that well, um, it's very painful, and it was also just, I suppose, and my other, I had I'd, I had operations um, after that, but I was out cold, <laughs> and oh, I was yes, pleasantly yeah. unaware of anything that was going on, and it was a combination of painful, and it sort of felt invasive, and it was very achy afterwards, it was, mm. you know, mm. it sort of basically, you know, chipping a bit out of you, yes. um, and so it's bleeding and things, um, that wasn't very nice. I, I just a bit of a shock as well. I wasn't actually expecting that to happen. <laughs> so did he do the biopsy straight away? They did this biopsy the... literally in the same, like, you know, right, because yeah. they could see probably on that okay. thing that they needed to take a sample okay. um, of what was there just to check. Anyway, I came, that was Monday. On the Wednesday, I came back to see the consultant and he said, 
uh, it's a it's definitely you know just he was he already knew on the Monday but he was yes. confirming that it definitely having tested it was cancer and um said that I needed to have an operation he could fit me on the Saturday that right. week oh, gosh. <laughs> so like three days later uh, which was all obviously very sudden or reassuringly it was quite quick because it was on a sort of smaller side so mm. they sort of thought let's just get it out quickly mm. and that may have been they he was hoping that that would be it you know yes. quick operation hasn't spread anywhere just nothing no more treatment after that really so um so yeah it was hardly time to think really yes so that that monday to wednesday was it did everything go through your mind at that point or at what point did things sort of sink in well on the monday after when i got uh, that I, it was a horrible shock mm. and um i felt like sort of sort of like a black cloud come down on me and mm. i didn't i just went home and i didn't want to talk to anyone or see anyone i um, my husband came with me for that, that appointment and so he knew but no one else knew at that point mm. and I couldn't even face I mean I couldn't even process it myself and so I definitely couldn't have told anyone else mm-hmm. um, in fact we went out the next night on the Tuesday night which would a pre-arranged dinner with my um, brother-in-law and sister-in-law and two of his my brother-in-law's very nice club in central London and it was I didn't mention it, and I yes. had the best night, you know, martinis. I just thought it was a kind of last, kind of <laughs> last bit of fun, you know. And it was great. I thought if I if I say it, then all the conversation revolves mm. around this rather depressing mm. topic, and I just wanted to pretend it. I guess yeah. it didn't exist. So I found I went on some long dog walks um, yes. and did a lot of crying on my own, and, mm. you know, which mm. was cathartic. I think. Yeah. Every time throughout the process that I got information, particularly if it wasn't good information, yes. um, it was a real shock. And then it took like a few days to process that. Mm-hmm. And then I would be like, okay, like now we do this and the next step and things like that. But um, each time was just, you know, and of course, you know, at the time, especially not knowing is actually some of the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've got cancer, but you're like, well, how long do I have? You know, yes. do I? You know, you think all the worst possible scenarios, mm. of course, and um, that's quite. I mean, you sort of wallow in it a bit, just to sort of think, mm. except that this could, is a possibility. All these awful things that could happen. So, I, I think um, there is. You just there don't is, know. Yeah. There is something to be said for sort of facing the worst early on. There's a great. Um, um, Keats's Ode on Melancholy talks mm. about uh, you f- f- um, hold thy mistress's hand in thine and feed deep, deep upon her peerless mm. eyes. And it's all about the uh, uh, just facing the worst and feeling the worst mm. and, and facing up to it yeah. and just feeling absolutely awful. Yeah. Um, I haven't had cancer, but when, when my son was very ill and I thought mm. he might die, I, I was going, yeah. you know, and you're absolutely black. Yeah. And you think, well, you can't protect yourself from it. You just have to, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's a reality that, mm. I mean, I guess, you know, sort of you live your life until I have, you know, thinking, mm. although you know that death exists, you really um, I haven't had much experience of it. So, mm. And that basically you sort of 
somehow think, well, I'm okay. You know, like it's yes. not going to affect me. <laughs> it's yes. all weirdly, you know, totally oblivious to the idea that you, you know, you're mortal. Yes. And um, and then you sort of come up short when you think, oh no, we're not. I'm not mortal, and it might be a lot closer than you realise, or it could be closer um, than you. And yes, I think it is good to think. I, I really went through all the kind of, you know, okay, well, you know, what, what's a, you know, if I was to die then you know what about the children and that's obviously the biggest um fear really um and I think you know you've got people who depend upon you and and whose life would be ruined if you know mm. not ruined but you know it would be really well, affected yeah, ruined for a while deeply affected yes, by your loss. Yes, yes. um they're not it's not going to be it wouldn't be, it would be yeah so that obviously is all very um yeah, difficult. Mm. Yeah. So you went. What, at what point did you tell the children? Because you went back on well, the Saturday. Well, that was difficult actually because yeah. um, they were at school. My eldest goes uh, during the week. He's at boarding school, and um, what we read up quickly about <laughs> how to tell you know your children. One of the recommendations was whether it's right or not. I don't know. Is um, to sort of tell them all together. So they don't feel separated by information um, and they can kind of obviously sort of support each other and comfort each other in some way. Um, but um, the only time they were going to all be together, you know, between, you know, football and <laughs> school and everything um, was when I was actually already in hospital. Mm. And so um, it, was, yeah, it wasn't ideal, um, um, but... I my husband told them without me while I was having the operation um, yeah. on Saturday morning, um, and um, so I, I wasn't there. I, whether that was a good or bad thing, I don't know. Um, and I came home the next day, um, and um, yeah. So t and they'd already been told. So maybe it was. Uh, I don't know whether that was the best thing yes. or not. But it was kind of almost like, given that we felt it was important that they were all together, it yes. was the, literally the only time that we had that it was possible for that. Yes. So, yes. Um, and so that was. Uh, I'm. I was at the time uh, running the head of the PTA at my children's school. And uh, that was Saturday. No, the Sunday was the Christmas fair, which of course <laughs> I was supposed to be running. <laughs> and so um, it was a very extreme way of getting out of yes. doing that. <laughs> and children were very sad. They'd be like, oh, but mummy, you missed the Christmas fair. And I was like, oh dear, never mind. <laughs> I had a quiet day in the hospital bed watching TV instead. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. entirely awful. Um, so, yeah. Did he, um, what did he do with them that evening? Because first of all, you weren't there and then they'd had all that. Yeah, I don't know. They probably watched TV. I mean, he yeah. gave, I think he, the way he explained it was very um, sort of straightforward, but, you know, saying, look, there's a mummy's, you know, they've found, she's got a sort of tumour and, but it's quite small, so they're going to have a small operation, which it, it was a small operation, really, um, to remove it and, um, you know, she'll come back tomorrow. Um, and so... Um, yeah, it's hard to know quite how they mm. took that, and they all reacted quite differently um, in the weeks and months prior, uh, um, after, after the, that. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's so with some of them, it wasn't 
and it still isn't obvious how much they have been affected by it. And they kept that quite, you know, mm. quiet or uh, didn't want to talk about it. Um, so a very different range of re- responses um, mm. to it with all of them. Um, yeah. Yes. And so what happened yeah. with the... So you had that operation mm. to remove it, and then was that... Did that clear it? Or? So, well, um, the t- t- they also... Uh, checked my lymph glands which is a standard thing so um and they found that there's 16 you learn all these things um, (laughs) under your arm pit and um they one of them had a small growth on it um which was a primary one so it hadn't spread to the others so technically the spread goes to the main one and then to the others and then it would go to around the body i guess Mm -hmm. to other parts of the body so it was good in the sense it hadn't probably hadn't gone beyond that point um but they took all my lymph nodes out lymph glands under my arm my left arm so um which is quite common practice I think Mm. as I've discovered um and but that meant that little tiny you know mini really really small (laughs) like a sort of you know matchstick size you know pin head size um growth was enough to serve make them recommend chemotherapy um, mm. as well as radiotherapy. Um, on, so that was obviously a big difference. You know, yes. a small operation that you sort of just walk, you know, or recover from is mm. quite a different thing to having chemotherapy. So, um, but we, you know, this, it's very hard because talking to the um, specialists, they said it seemed to be that there was a kind of maybe the chance of it, uh, of, of, of affecting my mortality rate for the next 10 years was maybe one or two percent oh, which is not very much yeah, yeah. but then on they did a genetic test on the tumor they took out and discovered that it was quite an aggressive fast growing mm-hmm. version which meant that um they changed the statistics mm-hmm. so it was a bit bigger like maybe a 10 15 percent sort oh, of chance yeah. um, or the chemotherapy would have had a much bigger sort of uh, uh, effect on the percentage of me being alive in 10 years yes. it's very it's a very basic percentage I mean it's like it's not whether it's you've got cancer it's just are you dead or are you alive you know? right. yes, <laughs> so it's a rather yes. bold sort of yes. approach but um, and um, I well even before, even with the smaller percentage um, they were quite keen that I should do chemotherapy um, yeah. Anyway, and I was sort of just reflected, well, how would I feel if I didn't do it? And, you know, at some point Mm. in the next so many years, it came back. Mm. And, you know, would I regret it? Mm. And and my decision was largely based upon, well, I've got, you know, four children who are young and they're not adults at all yet. And I really want to be here for the next 10 years, you know. Even, you know, maybe like... You know, if I was 60, you know, and they were older, I would have thought maybe differently mm. and thought I won't go through that but um, and take the chance. But I just thought it's not just me that's taking the chance, you know, taking the chance just for myself. It's also for my family. So um, that made it quite an easy decision. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, chemotherapy is uh, very unpleasant, but it's, again, a finite experience. You know, mm. you sort of do it for so long, get through it and then recover 
Um, mm. So I felt that that was something I was prepared to go through, yeah. Were, were you um, able to understand at each stage what was going on? Because as a, uh, someone who's not been through it, um, once they've removed the source of the cancer and the lymph nodes, mm. why is What's, what, why, why, why they, they don't do chemotherapy, chemotherapy. yes yeah. that's a good question what's left very to possibly kill? I had gone through all that and had literally not a sort of you know would have been absolutely totally fine mm. you know regardless mm. and I could have it would have, in some ways it was very possibly even maybe probably unnecessary mm. in, but there's a so the um, I think what I've discovered or been told is that we all have cancer cells in our in our body. It's actually very common. Everyone does. Mm. Um, it's just that our natural immune system sort of deals with them, and, and they go before you even sort of know. Even there's nothing to notice. You know, it's a sort mm. of natural process of eliminating disease, essentially. And that, um, but the the concern was that um, although you, they could see there was a sort of small growth on my lymph gland. Um, much smaller, undetectable um, sort of traces of that same cancer had spread, possibly. Okay. They weren't sort of easily picked up. Um, oh, okay, so they might just not have seen In the same way, you know, there. obviously yeah. a lump is easy to see, mm. but uh, and so I had to have bone scans, I had to have full body scans, which obviously was not very nice, you're waiting mm. to hear the results back from those, and they were yes. all fine, but, you know, in a sense... Um, you know, once something's detectable, it's already been there for some time, yes. you know, so it's not yes. um, from nothing, um, you know, the cells have grown sort of from something. So it was, that was the reason, yeah, mm. um, sort mm. of trace trace sort of elements um, or sort of under the radar cells, mm. which, um, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, how, how long? So uh, how long until you started the chemotherapy? Well, so we um, had a, it was actually obviously nobody wants to get cancer, but <laughs> if you're going to, um, we, I was very lucky um, in some in many ways. Breast cancer is very highly uh, funded and researched. Mm. You know, it's very common, obviously, and um, so there's a lot of money in it and a lot of understanding around it compared to others. Obviously, the operation, you know, it's not as invasive as something, you know, into your internal organs. So that's, you know, your breasts are useful, but they're more dispensable than other parts of you. Um, and um, uh, and also, um, I, I, the operation was just um, before Christmas, all the Christmas holidays, and uh, we'd already had a holiday, a big holiday to Australia and New Zealand booked. So we very luckily, we managed to sort of squeeze that between <laughs> having the operation and starting chemotherapy, which mm. was, um, then you, you, you need an, a month after the operation anyway to sort of recover fully from that before you start oh, right. um, chemotherapy. Um, so I started, yeah, um, about four weeks later on, mm. on the chemotherapy. Um, and um, that was every fortnight um, for four months oh gosh yeah. and how long were you in all day on that day no um well it was quite a long the very first session I um well I had sort of preliminary conversations with the uh, nurses and so on which just to sort of get my measurements they make sure that the dose is right for your size and all that kind of thing um and then um I I'd sort of 
obviously one of the big things that people know about chemotherapy is it makes your hair fall out and the the particular kind I was on was definitely going to make my hair fall out and so I thought well you know you can wear this thing called the cold cap which is a sort of it looks a bit like a sort of rugby cap or you know helmet thing um and you sort of strap it to your head and you but what I realized when I got there and I thought I'll try it I'll just see how it goes you know and if I don't like it I don't won't keep with it you have to put it on um quite I think it was like an hour or so quite some time before you even start the treatment so then you then you do treatment which takes a t- you know, time they have to give you put you know on various saline drips first and you know it's sort of all um sort of um on a drip and then they give you the treatment which actually didn't take very long itself but then uh, you know, make sure you're okay. And then you have to spend another, if you wear this cold cap thing, for another was it hour and a half or afterwards. Anyway, it was literally the most, I mean, makes my skin cool just thinking about it. I, it was the most awful thing. Mm. Um, I couldn't, I don't know, I mean, I'm, it's, it's like, it's like putting a sort of freezing cold oh. hat, but at the same time as feeling as soon as you get given the drugs instantly mm. I was feeling awful mm. like you know it felt like someone just pulled a load of poison into me which oh. is basically what oh, yeah. had it happened yes <laughs> and so I just felt awful and then this whole hell cap oh. and you have to damp your hair down it so you oh. made you it was and, you, and I had to sort of tie it on and and it, even then it might not have worked and oh. I thought oh, god no yeah. <laughs> I'd yes. much rather lose my hair than this yes um, yeah. so I, I abandoned that and that made it a whole process a lot quicker um I mean it was it was a it was um the I was on two different drugs. The first lot was a quicker to administer, so that but I was in um maybe three hours four hours mm. and were you with the n h s now or was it no I was private? still on the private um which basically just means slightly nicer magazines and, <laughs> and maybe a more up-to-date uh, armchair or something like that are you in um, a ward an award yes yeah. with sort of other people so I did sort of meet a few people um I was at the same time same day and time um every fortnight okay. um well actually the people I got to know really well um were the nurses who mm. were just I have to say I didn't have one experience, and this was, I also when did um, some uh, treatment with the NHS. My radiotherapy was with the NHS. Of uh, anyone who was unpleasant, I'm quite the opposite. It was just so lovely, actually, um, mm. that the um, staff, down to the people bringing you, you know, tea and food, were just really mm. kind um, and very sweet, and you know, um, obviously could do their job but but it was just much more than that so you felt really cared for um which mm. made such a difference you know i mean yeah, yeah. How, how did uh, how soon did your hair start falling out so the first uh after the first one well, not much at all just you know maybe a little bit more than normal mm. um and then after the second treatment uh then it was really sort of accelerated mm. um and it that was, yeah, not very nice, obviously. Um, it, you know, it got, and then it suddenly got really bad quickly. I think mm. it was a sort of after the second and then definitely the third one, it was just coming, you know, you run, even just, you know, touching your hair, it would mm. come out and it was everywhere, you know, yeah. hair everywhere. Mm. It was driving me nuts and, it, and then it sort of, you end up looking kind of 
you end up with a rather like, slightly patchy, so it just it was horrible. Mm. Um, and that was, yeah, that wasn't, that was quite traumatic. Um, mm. And the end, and I'd been sort of deciding what to do and how it might go and with the hair, and um, I got fed up with it. And I'd already been to see a wig company. Uh, mm. I sort of picked up a leaflet for in, in Paddington. And I went to them and I said, you know, shave it all off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did. And I was like, and it was nice because I was in an environment where it was very private. So, well, you know, you're not just going to your local hairdresser, which would have been pretty grim. Um, and I, I, weirdly, I, I felt incredibly happy and liberated. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you told me, you know, a few months <laughs> earlier that I'd yes. be delighted to have my hair shaved off, I would have would probably not believed you. But yes. it was, I was like, oh. Great. Because it, was, it, was, it was so awful with it half in, half out, and going everywhere. It was like, yeah. just get it off. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. it was sort of all right. And I felt a bit like Sinead O'Connor or something, you know. Yes. <laughs> sort of. um, so that was, yeah. And then I, I got yeah. headscarves and um, a wig. Um, and uh, and I, I alternated with that. Um, I, the children were quite sensitive, particularly. Um, one of my children, my, my one of my, my middle son, he was very, um, he was very concerned about me in general. He was the one who asked all the questions and was really obviously very anxious um, in, about the whole thing. And the hair, he really hated it, you know. Mm. It was like, obviously, you know, when you're, even if you change a hair colour as a mother, they kind of freak out a bit. Yes. <laughs> Not yes. having any at all was, you know, a horrible. And they didn't want to see me with no hair, mm-hmm. um, which was understandable. And they didn't really like it, of course. And so and I did agree, um, you know, pick up and drop offs at school, always just wear my wig. No so way. lots of people, my wig looked a lot better than my normal because <laughs> it was a sort of, you know, it was like I'd always been to have a blow dry. So people, oh, you've had a hair done. I'm like, you know, oh, OK, yes. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I, sp- I suppose that's the thing with pickups. Did you, I mean, being so high profile, did everyone just know or did you I, have it to I, I sort of, medium size, thank you, yes. Um, I, yes, it was... Um, I, I I did a drip feed effect of, of information. I I didn't. I know I had very um, two friends who actually had been through the same thing not long before me, um, and one of them had you know been very sort of open on social media and Facebook and 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 told everybody you know mm. literally um, and sort of and that was lovely and it worked for her. But I I just wasn't able to do that. Mm. Um, I, I was. I didn't want to keep it a secret, but I was a bit more private um, about it. So, I, what I said was, I told people who I knew were would tell everyone else, <laughs> yes. and I sort yes, of said, I don't right. mind. You know, I don't yes. mind if you tell people. It's not a big secret, um, but I just couldn't face sort of having that conversation with with lots of yes. people, and and it was sometimes with acquaintances mm. who we don't know mm. very well. It's easier just to sort of say hi, bye, you know, yes, yes, everything's good, fine, bye, you know, yes. rather than start getting into that whole conversation, um, which people wanted to have sometimes. So, um, yes. so I, I did avoid, I avoided people, actually. I mean, I was quite self-conscious if I was wearing, even the wig, I didn't feel quite myself, obviously. Mm. And um, so I, I was sort of whizzed in and out and, and was much more sort of 
uh, introverted <laughs> for that period um, than I would normally be. Yeah. Yes. And how did um, people respond, or how did you? What what responses did you find helpful? What, um, what well, did you like people to say or well, do. I I found um, some people wanted to like know everything about it and sort of and they were very sweet but I think it was very um for me I occasionally I found it was just like they were fishing for information and also mm -hmm. sort of you know <laughs> in my uh, in, uh, in a sort of my pain or something they want yes. to know about that and I and I didn't really want to give them that um, yes, benefit. Yeah. <laughs> um whereas the I mean the I made um, I didn't make friends, but I, I formed closer friendships with certain people who had said, I'll come with you to the chemotherapy or I'll pick you up or, you know, things like that, who just were incredibly sweet. And some people who I didn't know very well were just so lovely. Um, and it was very, um, I mean, my friends were like a huge source of um, comfort and support, um, not because they, you know, made... <laughs> anything physically different for me but um you know just a few people actually the people who I found the most um helpful and um empathetic were people who'd experienced some kind of difficulty in their life uh, mm. a bereavement or uh, a very good friend whose mother had passed away from breast cancer a number mm. of years ago they somehow understood better you know the sort of pain of you know mm. in the, going through a difficult situation and they just were yeah wonderful so um yeah no it was very nice to have so much I mean it also was hard actually I have to say because I'm usually the one who's okay and mm. you know helping other people out and doing things for others and actually I realized that um although it was nice to have the sort of someone to talk to actually letting people help you mm isn't easy no. for someone who's usually on the other end of that you know yes. um, interaction and feeling very vulnerable um and, and sort of thinking oh no I should I should I should be able to do this or I putting people out or you know yes. all these things so um yeah that was um surprisingly hard yes mm. I, th I think people do do want to help they do yeah they want to do something mm. to make it better I know when, after Charlie had been very ill my son my husband then got Crohn's mm. and he was in and out of hospital for well 18 months yeah. or so um and first of all, I got bored of talking about it mm, <laughs> to yes. people. People always like, want an update. And you kind of have the same story, yes. you know. Just sort of, again. But also, it's like it, it uh, and I don't know if you found this, it sort of clouds the whole conversation. And I say, just yes. tell me something boring yes. that's happened to you. I want to know an irrelevant... Yes. Is your washing machine working? Yes, or what was the book you've been reading about, yes. you know? Because yes. feel, people feel there's nothing significant yes. enough to tell you. Yeah. And, you know, the only yes. story in town is your illness or yes. your husband's illness. And I said, I want you to complain about something that's meaningless. Yes, just, know, just as kind of I know it's trivial, trivial yes. but I want, it, I want that Normality. to be a conversation. Yes, yeah. I completely agree, and exactly, and, and that's, um, you know, being able to sort of, yeah, be be distracted, really, I suppose, and not have mm. to sort of be wallowing in your kind of, you know, difficult situation, or always be dredging that up in some ways. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think in a way what you want is people to be, uh, allow you to speak if you want to but not yes. push it you know if, mm -hmm. if you don't feel like that and um, 
Mm. Yeah, I think that was um, hard. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, I'm, I've, I've always been one of those people who don't know what to say to someone when they've been through something difficult like that. So um, I completely understand. You know, so I was never, you know, I've never minded, you know. And, or then I'd have some friends who I'd meet up with and um, after about five seconds they'd be launch into a long complaint about the you know cleaner or yes, <laughs> and I yes. thought oh okay <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah it is, it is difficult I know when when Charlie was really ill it was very I mean what do you say to someone mm. whose baby uh, is, yeah. is seriously ill but I appreciated just people trying yes I exactly. don't really care about the content no, it's the fact they, they tried they to make the, the effort and they've sort of yeah they're just thinking of you and people mm. just to know that people are there and they remember you and they know they're a sort of yeah holding you in their hearts mm. in some way um that that yeah it's very yeah. it's i mean i was overwhelmed actually with the mm. you know um outpouring i suppose i felt extremely loved which yes. was really lovely um and realized how many good friends i have and how much you know my family mean to me and and mm. you know um yeah it was really really lovely actually um, yeah and, and, you, and you do lose um sense of reciprocity I was thinking I'm never going to be able to pay all these people back for all the things I've done I'm just yeah. going to have to sort of the pay it forward yes, concept and just exactly. meet other people there's not I'm not going to no. be able to catch up with what people have done for yeah, us yeah um, that's exactly right and I think um I felt you know my friend whose mother died of breast cancer that coincided with my eldest being born it was a new baby at the same time so I wasn't really around for her this, mm. at the ta- that time in the way she had was this time for me and I thought oh I felt bad about that but I thought well like you say you, you now um, yes there'll be opportunities to, yes. <laughs> as you say to pay it forward and I, I did make some lists um I was a friend gave me a journal and I didn't really use it lots but I I did spend some time going writing a sort of long list very long of all the people who who had been there for me and, and how they'd been there for me so mm. it's a sense of uh, out of a sense of gratitude really um and um the more I thought about it the more I thought of new people and what you know all these things that had um, really meant something for me so mm. I've got that list <laughs> I can tell people <laughs> you're on my list <laughs> uh, well then you also get to the point where if if you are able to do something for someone else you're so grateful mm. you're able to do something for someone else yes. and not you needing it yeah so absolutely this is, this is lovely I can help yeah. you I don't need the help yes yeah, um, yeah friends who um invited us over for Sunday lunch you know mm. um, and with all the children when, when we don't normally being a family of six get invited to anywhere mm. <laughs> um, it's quite a handful so um, and they did that you know numerous times and it was just you know felt like you just someone cooking for you you know that's mm. sort of simple stuff it really is mm. lovely um, so um what, and, what, uh, what did you um, value the most was it people doing practical help or um, sort of emotional support or what was it what was it that really helped you um obviously the practical stuff was great I mean we're lucky we had already had before I was diagnosed a lovely au pair who was actually she was amazing too I mean it's not you know what she was expecting to be plunged into <laughs> um and so she dealt with that very well and so she was you know maybe it had to be a bit more hands-on um and so I felt that the practical aspects were sort of very much mostly taken care of between, you know, my husband and my au pair and the children and, you know, so on. 
um, it was really the emotional just mm. being there. Um, people who came and sat with me while I was doing my chemotherapy and, mm. you know, going went out and got me lunch, you know, from the cafe or... Um, my mother-in-law bought me, you know, lots of healthy, you know, meals, which I sort of, you know, which kept me going. And that, that well, yes, so the cooking, the food, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, if, yeah, a few people who are into, you know, cooking and food, they were very sweet and, you know, bought me some nice healthy um, meals. And I, because I wasn't on quite a strict diet. And my, one of the um, kind of real... So some of the sort of smaller things about chemotherapy and the experience was was some of the hardest. Obviously losing your hair, which physically is not painful. You know, you think, oh, it's just hair, you know. (laughs) And obviously that is quite hard. And the other was that I lost my taste, um, sense of taste. So I wasn't meant to be having wine and chocolate and and all these things. But even if I did, I, I couldn't even taste them properly. And I was like sad because the little joys that you get yes. from you know a bit of chocolate for example um weren't available to you so the things that sort of give you pleasure just didn't really tick that box anymore and that was kind of yeah strangely quite <laughs> sort of sad and uh, and upsetting um, Some, sometimes you can rise to the big challenges but it's the little things that get you <laughs> yes it's not even that little I mean taste yeah. is a big taste thing taste is a big thing yeah. I mean yes but, and, and it's, I did feel I'm normally a very um, happy and um, smiley relatively uh, yeah, easygoing happy person and uh, that I felt throughout the chemotherapy that I wasn't really properly happy. Mm. You know, I could be okay. Mm. Uh, you know, it wasn't all like terrible, but it was rather as a sort of my my normal was a rather low level of. of, Is that, of was okayness. it as um, mind altering? Did it was it um, a chemical reaction in your being, or just upset at what um, you having to go through? Well, it was just a physical uh, sort of reality of it was. Uh, affected my mood um, mm-hmm. in a way that I just haven't sort of uh, experienced before I suppose mm-hmm. um, you know I've had illnesses and so on but nothing sort of terrible it sort of passes and but it was very prolonged and I think um, a combination of the nausea the tiredness obviously the lack of appetite lack of hair sort of all combined to make some days I just basically spent in bed you know more or less um and kind of just didn't feel myself I guess and I you know you are being poisoned that's exactly and it's literally how it feels you feel like someone's just you know trying to get you um and you're you know willingly you know taking it um but um I mean even now that some of the outfits because it's this time of year again um it was a year ago that I was doing the chemo and um, the cardigans and the blouses I was wearing because you had to wear a blouse so they could access the uh, sort of port to put it in. Um, I, it made me feel slightly nauseous just looking at them. I mean, I, I've got over that. I've sort of worn them a bit now and it's sort of gone. Yes. gone. But that first time I was, I was like, I didn't want to put them on even. It just brought it all back. The, yes. So there's a sort of mental, physical kind of 
mix-up, which just makes you feel rather low. Um, yeah. Well, it's a, a massive stress because it's not only is it the physical effects, the mental, your mental battle must be huge. Yeah, it was. That. And I, there was times I went, I saw, so I decided to take a very holistic approach. I mean, I, I went, obviously, I, I embraced the chemotherapy and, and everything, um, but I also... And with the chemotherapy came a, a sort of shed load of other drugs uh, mm. for the, all knock-on effects. Mm. You know, things like, not very nice, but constipation, then you have to take the laxatives, which all have mm. their own, you know, so you're sort of, you're layering, you know, mm. chemicals, which, and I'm you know, the kind of person who, you know, takes vitamin C and the odd <laughs> bit of arnica and that's it. Um, sort of barely even paracetamol. Um, so I was very against that. And then I realised, no, I need to take these drugs in for, for, the, for a reason. But um, I also wanted to help my body deal with all the toxins because it's extremely toxic. So I was seeing a reflexologist I saw went to see a nutritionist <laughs> a long list I mean my days were taken up with this um a uh, acupuncturist um, a homeopath and also a kinesiologist who, who did some craniosacral therapy as well um and then some of these people um I I would go uh to them and especially if it was a difficult day I would just you know be with someone and be in floods of tears. It would all come out. I'd sit there and they felt that there was someone who was there for me to, to sort of help me in um, for healing. And it was a huge emotional sort of journey, yeah, mm. it was. Um, and knowing there were people who were there to sort of hold me, as it were, in that was meant a huge amount. And I was mostly crying out of sort of, you know, joy and all the happiness that there was someone there to relief. help me yeah relief yes. exactly wasn't yes. um and and probably feeling quite sorry for myself so um yeah yes and you had it every two weeks mm. for how many sessions so I was on two different drugs the first was a really really uh worst they sort of decided to get the worst out out of the way first and that was the one that made your hair fall out um so there was uh four doses of that um and then there was over two months and then the second drug was uh less aggressive in, the, in its side effects um and that was for another four doses over another two months um sort of straight through um so yeah with the second lot it was it definitely eased up a bit some of the sort of worst symptoms um and I was able to function a bit more normally. What I found was with those two-week cycles was I... It did help, actually, because I... After a week, after the first few doses, I really got a sense of a proper cycle. So mm. I would be... Um, get the chemotherapy on the Friday, um, feel pretty awful, have to go straight to bed when I got home. But actually, I, they gave me steroids to sort of... Um, well to combat some of the side effects which meant that the weekend I was a quite hungry <laughs> and be sort of quite energetic um and a bit flushed but you know on the on the steroids and then um I was also on a very strong anti-nausea tablets which would give me the constipation mm. and so I'd feel sort of okay the weekend and then Tuesday 
Wednesday, but Thursday was the absolute worst. Mm. And I would, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, I would, all the nausea tablets had worn off, the steroids had worn off, and I was feeling really, really bad. And that was the days I just was like, right, total write off, sit in bed with a, you know, audio book and, and, and go the quick dog walk, and that was about it. Mm. Um, and then, then, so I had this rather, that week was bad and then the second week I would be feeling a bit more myself so then I meant I could plan okay I'm going to do nice things on the second week you know go to an art exhibition or see friends but that first week I would sort of um, and it was helpful to know and it was also helpful that I did have a time when I was feeling a bit better and a bit perkier before I went back and started all over again. (laughs) Could, could they not give you more steroid tablets well, for that Wednesday, Thursday? Um, they, there's, I mean, the, the steroids themselves have their own side effects. So it's a sort of, yeah. a, I think the bottom line was that you can't quite avoid feeling rubbish. Um, so, I mean, I think it's improved hugely and I, I'm i pretty certain that, you know, 10, 20 years ago it would have been a lot worse in many, mm. many ways. So, um, so I think the... There've you know been a lot of improvements in, the, in managing side effects, um, but I'm sure there'll be more to come. But um, yeah, I, I I call them up saying, "Uncle, is can you do something?" They're like, oh, "That's just chemo. You know, that's to yeah. some degree. You know, you've got to go through it." Um, so yeah, that was um, yeah, just one of those things. And and did you just stop everything in that? I time? did. Uh, yeah. I was. I I saw a very an old friend of mine who's a very senior oncologist, a professor, you know, really interesting guy. Um, but he's also very um, spiritually attuned and um, emotionally open, I suppose. Anyway, he, he very sweetly, you know, met up with me a few times and, and he was, he's, his advice, you know, from this very eminent, you know, doctor was, you know, look after yourself, take it was basically a, a mantra of self-care and that was um and I'm someone who's always put myself last mm. and been happy to do that you know that's my natural kind of approach um so my children my husband you know dog everything <laughs> you know they all you know and I'm and I'm sort of I'm fine you know with that um but suddenly I was like no I, I can't I now I had that message actually from probably about four different people all of whom I respected a lot you really, this is time for self-care now. Mm-hmm. So I um, I stepped back from everything that I, I was could step back from. Yes. <laughs> obviously dri- d- ditched the PTA, you know, yes. role. Um, stepped back from Mothers at Home Matter um, yeah. and so on. And I, um, um, you know, would do, so the essential, of course, is being with the children. Um, and so I would obviously, if I was well enough, do the sort of school run and things like that. Um, uh, and, and walk the dog, <laughs> which yes. actually was really good. So when they first kind of saw the nurses before the chemo, they said, do you have any hobbies? Because obviously their concern is that, mm. and it's not healthy or physically or mentally to sort of basically sit down and, and lie down for the rest of the you know, two, you know, next four months and, and become a hermit. Um, so I said, oh, well, I have four children and a dog, <laughs> so I don't think I need any more hobbies. <laughs> That's enough to kind of get me out of the house. Yes. And I was very great. I and mean, my dog was, I have to say, <laughs> my real sort of uh, companion in a mm. funny way. I was really valued having someone, you, you know, you asked about 
what, what you wanted from people. And actually, um, our dog is, it didn't have any comments to make. She just yes. was there, you know, and she was kept me company and that was all mm. I wanted. And, she, you know, I'd go out and I'd feel really rubbish, but I usually felt a bit better for some fresh air. And seeing her sort of happily mm. jumping around with her ball um, was a real, you know, highlight of the day usually. So, What sort of dog is she? Um, she's a cavapoo, so oh, she's right. basically like a teddy bear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely affectionate. And she and I was around. I mean, that's the other thing. Um, mm. Obviously, I, st- I was working before that, so I stopped working and with the children and, and the dog. <laughs> Obviously, the most important person in our family. Um, yeah. But I was there all the time, mm. and I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't rushing out, wasn't going out for dinners or social events or anything mm. um so I saw more of the children I mean I might have been too ill to sort of come and do you know much for supper but I could sit and read with them or help them with their homework when I was in mm. bed or something so um yeah I think everyone enjoyed having me around <laughs> hopefully well, you firstly about your dog did you, did your dog what's her name Amber Amber did she did she change how she was with you because yes, dogs are very did. intuitive aren't yeah, they yeah she she did. She, I mean, once I was, I was lying down and I, when I was, I didn't find my wig that comfortable. So I really only wear it to go out and I'd wear like a little cap or, or, or nothing if no one was around. I was a bit self-conscious about my bald head. Um, and I remember lying down and she just was like, spent like, you know, 20 minutes happily licking my head, you Aww. know, all over. And it felt very Aww. sort of sweet, you know. Yeah. I mean, maybe it just tasted nice, but um, no, she really did respond differently um, mm. and was just sat at the end of my bed, you know, by my feet. Normally she doesn't get to do that, so she was a bit of a treat. <laughs> she <laughs> we, took full advantage of She took advantage of, of my yes. weak state. Yeah, wasn't, I just wanted company, so, um, yes. yeah, yeah, she was, she was pretty sweet, mm. yeah. yeah. And how about the children? Did, they, did it become a new normal? You know, did they get used to what was going on? They did. Like I say, they all responded differently, so... Um, I, uh, my, my daughter didn't want to talk about it. She was actually very standoffish with me. Is she the oldest one? No, she's my uh, second. So my mm-hmm. eldest, he, he was, like I say, at weekly boarding school. So he wasn't around as much. Um, he was very sweet and like all of them really pulled their weight in terms of, like I say, I'm only the one, you know, mm-hmm. looking after all of them. So they were having to look after me and I, and I, you know, would gently remind them of that if they forgot. Um, and they were very sweet, you know, in, in helping make supper or whatever it was. So um, walking the dog. Um, and he was very sweet. Um, he didn't want to talk about it much and he sort of seemed fine. And um, then my daughter really was quite funny with me, mm. funny in a way. She didn't, clearly was very not happy that I was wearing a head you know we went out for a walk once and I was wearing a headscarf and um and, and bumped into a friend of hers and the family um and she was not very comfortable about that mm. you know that I look weird I suppose um so she sort of kept me at arm's length really mm. um in some ways when I was like well that's just <laughs> and then my uh middle son um he was definitely and still is the most sensitive about the whole thing and the good thing was that he would ask a lot of questions um and he was obviously very worried about me dying and and his some of his friends had said things that he was concerned about you know obviously um and um I think he talked to his friends a bit about it which the others maybe didn't much 
Um, anyway, it was because he asked the questions I could then put his fears at rest, whereas if the others may as well have had questions, but they didn't, weren't able to ask them. And, uh, and so maybe you sort of continued to worry about things quietly in their own mind. Um, so, and then my youngest, uh, well, he's a sort of, you know, he lives for the moment. <laughs> so um, he was very sweet. Um, and then it's just himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, which is fine. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, my, my, my middle son, he very sweet. Cause I, after all the radiotherapy, which finished in June, I, um, I'm on for 10 years, to, uh, mm. sort of daily tablets um, mm. of oestrogen blocking t- tamoxifen, mm. which... Does that put you into menopause? Then? Well, the, the, so the, the chemotherapy itself uh, put me into a fake menopause. So I was having hot flushes and... Oh, on top of everything else. Well, it was kind of afterwards, sort of, but my oh, periods yeah. obviously stopped uh, mm. with all that. It was sort of your body just kind of shuts down to the bare essential. So I stopped my periods and everything. But um, because I think if you're close to, closer to menopause, it would just tip you over mm-hmm. in, and push you into it a little bit earlier. Because I'm younger, you know, you know, um, than sort of average for <laughs> breast cancer, um, then it, um, I, my periods have returned, which is mm-hmm. really good <laughs> I mean you know it is, but it is a regular and so I do still get um yeah not as bad it's calmed down a bit but hot flushes and things like that so I am getting some menopausal symptoms but I'm not menopausal mm-hmm. but it, it can do that to sort of some people push them that way um quicker anyway um but he my son uh, George he's very um he 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 remembered like anniversaries of things like oh mum it's been you know um, you know, six months since you know you've had your finished your last chemo. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> really? oh. And he's obviously really yes. considering these things and remembering it. So yes. um, he's yeah. So that's and uh, and my hair's growing back. So yes. I, I ditched the headscarves and the wigs as soon as my hair started growing. It started obviously at first. It's really really short. You know, like a mm. sort of GI Jane look, and um, and then. Um, when it got to August, I got to just about, you know, it was pretty sort of aggressive boy cut. I mean, it looked very butch, actually. <laughs> but I thought, I, I I sort of said, right, that's it. Because I was what I was doing in the end was sort of chopping and changing between not wearing anything and then wearing my wig. And I thought, well, it's very confusing. I mean, one of George's, or it's one of my children's friends came over and I had forgotten to put my wig on. And he, and I was just very short. And he said, oh, you've had a haircut. Mm. And I was like, not really, but, you know. And, of course, then to see me then wearing my wig again, well, then it's <laughs> obvious that it wasn't a haircut, you know. <laughs> so I think I got rid of it and I sent them all to a charity. I got rid of every trace of headscarf and wigs as mm. soon as I could, really. Um, and, and happy to do that. And, so. and so you had the... Four and four. Four and four. four. Yes, so eight, and the, um, yeah, the, sixteen weeks. Yeah, exactly. Treatment, mm. and then so where did you? When did your hair start growing back after the sixteen um, weeks or after the eight weeks? It, it didn't. Yeah. After no, after it, it sixteen weeks, and then and then it didn't start growing back for a few weeks after that. So yeah. I was, you know, uh, maybe after my last chemotherapy session, maybe three weeks for mm. four weeks even it didn't start growing mm. back till then so and then it was you know I was 
had in my head it was a lot faster. <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, by, you know, Christmas I'll have a bob again. And no, <laughs> it's a lot slower than I realised. It looks lovely, though. Thank you. I, I have actually, you. honestly, I, I'm yeah. part of me sort of, I am growing it still. Um, yeah. But I, part of me is rather used to it now yes. and um yeah. it's much easier and has it changed curly. texture because i hear sometimes it's gone it curly changes. oh right yes, it's not yes. changed a lot i think it can go yeah. much coarser and much darker mm. um but my hair color hasn't changed although obviously i don't dye it so it's, it looks different but it's mm. actually my natural hair color but the curliness um yeah. is quite yeah Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I kind of you know it's okay and um, yeah I've gosh don't need to blow dry it and, you know I feel like you know I can see why men have short hair you know yeah. it's much easier <laughs> you save yourself a lot of uh, time five, and money five minutes a day for only 16 weeks of pain yes I know perfect. yeah maybe worth it um, yes and I didn't yeah no shaving legs and underarms of course Good, sometime yeah. obviously now I do but um, oh, that came back to you <laughs> oh well there's probably some benefits I suppose yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, and once you finish the second lot of treatment then was that it apart from the daily pills no so then um, I had radiotherapy um oh, oh, so yeah. I had a break of a month which was very nice I had like <laughs> a little holiday um, from everything and I was started feeling quite good radiotherapy was fine I was doing that with the NHS um partly because it was just much closer to our house and I was it, that's a daily so mm-hmm. um for a month oh. every day for a month oh. for but how very long each um each session the actual session was uh, less than a minute oh. I mean well so the actual sort of period it takes to zap you as it were mm-hmm. is less than a minute it, it takes some time to sort of they it's like you're a um sort of DIY project I mean there's an amount of measuring they do mm-hmm. and because they've got to get it exactly in the right place and they sort of have these special beds you have to sit on and you know the arm up in the air and um, and you have to hold your breath. The idea is that it doesn't affect your lungs. Uh, you, you push out your chest mm-hmm. to, to push the uh, breast further away from the heart, not lungs, heart. Oh, right. So you don't want to, you want to just sap the bit you want, but not, mm-hmm. not too much else really, um, because obviously it is toxic as well. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, radiotherapy. Um, I was okay. I mean, um, I, you, you know, it, it's like sunburn. Um, and it accumulates. So by the end of the four weeks, you know, quite red. Um, and, you know, you're only supposed to put certain, like, aloe vera, no no oils and anything mm. like that on it. Um, but it was all right. Um, and I just got used to the routine of, you know, charging over the bridge to Charing Cross Hospital. And, again, they were super lovely. And um, so... Um, what does fine. the radio? So the chemotherapy is supposed to kill off any cancer cells. What does the radiotherapy? So um, they sort of describe cancer treatment as you know cut, uh, poison, and burn. This <laughs> is <laughs> sort of the the greatly they need to get the marketing very finesse that, the finesse yeah. of of the whole project. It's like cracking a you know a nut with a sledgehammer. Yeah. So it's um, it basically I would have had the radiotherapy actually anyway with after the operation. That's very mm. standard practice. Um, it um, sort of the, the chemotherapy is goes throughout your whole body um, indiscriminately and sort of basically kills off lots of things, including hopefully any spare you know cancer cells. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the radiotherapy is a kind of um, you know local in the localized area of the operation. So um, it sort of zaps that breast in case of sort of any seepage as it were of cells um cancer cells in that area 
Um, I, mean, I don't know the very technical <laughs> ins and outs, but um, I mean, I think obviously, again, because it's your breast, not your head or throat, it, it's, it hasn't got such a severe uh, effect. Do you have to have um, an annual mammogram then? I do. Yes. I have to have an annual mammogram. Um, and then I also have, so that's with the with the surgeon um, and the oncologist to sort of learn all these different um, things. Who They work together, but uh, she's uh, responsible for the uh, non-surgical sort of right. side of things. So he seems to sort of take charge or be the sort of main guy. And then she's uh, also... But she's the one I talk to about the tamoxifen or any side effects uh, and so okay, on. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's great. I did swap consultants, uh, oncologists, not the surgeon, um, quite early on in the treatment because um, the first lady, the oncologist I saw to start with, uh, the um, was was fine, but I just didn't feel she was listening to me, uh, and also yeah. I didn't feel she was one. She was. Um, interested at all in explaining to me what was going on mm-hmm. and so I, we changed oncologists although the um, uh, prescription uh, for treatment didn't change at all actually mm-hmm. um, I just felt so much better mm-hmm. with someone who um, explained we came away from this seeing the second lady thinking oh I get it oh I understand mm-hmm. why we're doing this now I understand mm-hmm. you know my options now mm-hmm. um, and and so on and and um, yeah, it just seems a lot more human. Yes. <laughs> and I yes. think that actually these things are important, you know. Yes. Um, and so she said, you know, I liked her straight away because she said, well, I prescribe for all my patients, you know, lots of handbags and shoes and holidays. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes, I like her. <laughs> yes. you know, she had a sense of humour. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, that uh, was very nice. Yeah. Yes. And, and what happened when you went back for your first mammogram? What was that like? Well, as I, it was... It was um, I was obviously quite anxious um, mm. because it brought it all back again. And um, I think actually at this point, having just relatively recently finished chemotherapy, radiotherapy and everything, you know, I'm probably not likely to have yes, something. Yes. Um, it's, uh, but um, at the same time, uh, I mean, I know the, now I know the drill. Um, having a mammogram is not very comfortable. It's not you no. sort of squid your breast into a sort of clamp. Um, and then um, and then I was kept waiting. Um, not for... It felt like a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, uh, probably just because they were busy and trying to um, process things. But that made me really anxious. I thought, mm. oh, no, there's maybe a problem and they're going to do another biopsy or so. You know, I just yes. could see all the worst possible things. It was fine. Um, and that was a relief. And then I could go home and <laughs> get on with life. Does that mean that everything's clear at the moment then? Well, as far as I can tell, like I say, obviously what comes up, and they only do your breast. They're not, um, and they, they do a physical examination and they check under your arms, your sort of lymph nodes and all that. Um, obviously, you know, it's quite hard to know for certain that there's nothing anywhere else um, unless you, you know, and actually, uh, you know, uh, yeah, your breasts are much more accessible, you know, than if you had something in your you know, intestine, you know, your, your inner organs, uh, much harder to pick up. So, um, yes, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> it's, but they seem happy. So um, I think I've done everything I could have done is what I feel. Yes. I, I can't really... I didn't leave anything out of the of the mm. regime, and hopefully it was um, extreme enough mm. to to work.
Yeah. Now, when, when did you finish the treatment, the radiotherapy? Um, I finished that at the end of June. So again, it was quite so good timing because it yeah. was it was uh, beginning of the summer holidays. So it meant, mm. you know, I mean, I have a friend who has been through all this about you know only six months ahead of me. So very, we kept in touch a lot actually. Mm. Um, but she was doing all her chemotherapy through the summer holidays. Mm. You know, which I mean. Yes. It's as it is, but you, you know you can't delay these things really. Mm. So um, I was lucky that I sort of worked yes. around holidays. Yeah, school, school, <laughs> school year. year, yeah, school it was a year school. Cancer. It was a yeah <laughs> term time, you know. Only. Yeah, term time. Um, so that was quite helpful. And yeah. then I had the summer to look forward to, and you know, be able to relax. So did did you pick? Did your children and everyone expect you to pick up where you'd left off? Well, I mean, that's something that they um, nurses um, they you know give you quite a lot of. Um, advice to sort of say look you know you're not just going to sort of bounce back to normal straight away you know your body had been through a huge amount and um, just like after you've had a baby you know you takes a lot of time to recover um, and you need to let people around you know because you might look all right on the outside um, and they think well you're finished now that's it we're good back to normal but you know let your husband know you're not quite back to normal um, you know and you still need a lot of help and, and yes. so on um, and give yourself that you know slack um, so I think, you know, there's times when I've been like, oh, I'm so tired, why am I tired? You know, I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. it's all right. It's okay to sort of not be, you're impatient to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. And then every tiny little thing, like I, I found weirdly um, that I got better, but, you know, get up in the morning and my feet, the base, uh, sole of my feet would be very tingly and sort of sensitive. Um, so it's a little thing, you know, but I was like, wow, I'm not, it minds you that you're not quite mm. all normal or not all okay still. And there's stuff going on in your body that you don't want, um, basically, um, to be there. So, yeah, um, obviously just to take care of yourself. Is there anything that's changed in your attitude or any, any reflections from what you've been through that's changing how you're living now? I think so, yes. Um, it, it inevitably changes you. I mean, I, I feel that I didn't... I wanted to come out of... I wanted to go through and come out of the experience as as well as possible and um, to learn from it. And I... Um, feel that I have I think although I wouldn't want to repeat it at the same time oddly I you know somehow feel uh, like it's changed my life for the better (laughs) which is weird to say um, in the sense that I have become, like I say, more aware of my own mortality and that, you know, life isn't necessarily forever. And you just don't know. You know, you really just don't know um, what's around the corner. You you think you know. You have a nice life planned out, you know, retirement and grandchildren and, you know, all these things. And and the temptation is to think, oh, one day I'll do that or, you know. And I my um, you know, always... So I've become, for example, uh, bolder about and, and less fearful of things. Um, so I did this kind of zip wire canyon top, you know, walk, which is not my idea of great amount of fun. In the past, I would have taken the children, they'd have done it, and I'd be sitting there watching, you know, well done, darling, um, and, and then go home. And I thought, no, hang on, why are they doing all the fun things? I mean, uh, you know, and why, why aren't I challenging myself to 
do this. It's, you know, not unsafe. I know that. So, um, yeah, so I did it. <laughs> Just. Did you enjoy it? Were you pleased? You I was very pleased with myself for doing it. Yeah. What I realised was before I had my diagnosis was that I um, was anxious about little things. Like, you know, I don't know, you know, have I got enough food for supper or something? I mean, you know other stuff too but I can't even remember it was so little and and I thought why am I spending my life a sort of sweating the small stuff and b um always thinking about the next thing I'm like I'm not enjoying my life I'm just thinking about the next thing and and you're kind of essentially rushing towards your grave you know that's really what you're doing and that was and you think why what a what a waste of time and so I really appreciate my life um, yes, yes. and and feel that I you know will want to uh, make the most what what I've got and I suppose just be in the moment you know mm. not be constantly elsewhere yeah because you know, then you're not really living <laughs> I've done also starting a psychotherapist during the process because as well as physically I realized I could end up at the end of this with physically okay but mentally kind of burdened and I thought mm. I don't want that either so um, in my holistic approach I, I started seeing and I have discovered that um, although it was obviously useful with the experience I've had that it's just full stop useful <laughs> um, and that it's not that you have to have had a harrowing upbringing to need to sort of or benefit from a therapist that um, it's just a very useful arena and opportunity to sort of express yourself in a very um, open way mm. to someone who's very neutral um, so I, I'm sort of then working on myself and being a bit more self-aware about what's going on with my uh, habits of mind and, and so on um, which is I think useful even mm. if it's not always easy so many things can either be seen as good or bad um, you know regardless of really almost what's going on around you you can be completely miserable and everything's fine oh, yeah. and so on yeah. and you can be okay and everything's not fine and and I saw that you know there was times of great there was times of great you know joy and happiness even amid all the difficult stuff and so you just see how it's so um essential to be able to step back I guess mm. um, yeah. have you gone back to work I have um, gone back to work um, which I was very happy I, I missed my work actually yeah. I really I work in a school library in my uh, daughter's uh, senior school and I um, I had only been doing it for a short amount of time before I stopped so I felt like I hardly got going <laughs> yeah. so this is nice to have a sort of more um, a better run at it mm. and um, it's a very nice job it's very um, it's my ideal job in some ways for the moment anyway um, so um, I do I really enjoy working yeah yeah in, a, yeah. in my modest way <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds yeah. like you've gone um, well full circle but on a sort of different arc <laughs> yes I'm sort of I'm not doing anything yeah. terribly different to how I was I've, I've yeah. sort of I'm giving it I am working on the whole idea of self-care mm. and um, not that I put myself above everyone else um, mm. I don't think that's ever going to happen but 
Um, but I also just acknowledging that my needs are just as important as other people's and it's um, actually good for my children and probably my husband um, you know for them to know that um, and I've been more able probably through the therapy really um, to sort of assert that um, and say actually you know what darling you know I, I need to go and see my whatever acupuncturist so I, I can't pick you up from school but you can get the bus home and actually you're capable of getting the bus home so you know you, you know I, I don't um the main thing is not to make myself completely subservient to, to everyone around me uh, anymore so um I mean I, I still do look after everyone but um yeah, just being a bit more aware. Do your children um, appreciate you more, or do you think they are uh, back to well, normal? It's not ways? obvious, always. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're very resilient they, children. They, they pick they, up where they They left are off. resilient, yeah, yes. so that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're not they're not they're not sensitive souls, they're quite kind of a tough lot. Um yes. but they I think they do. Um yeah. yeah, they they can they can they're very tender and sweet. Um and I mean they you know, like children are they live for themselves which is normal and, and in the moment and they're not sort of mulling things over probably much but um yeah, they do seem to be happy that I'm all right I mean they make comments like oh mum your hair looks horrible I'm like thanks darling <laughs> charming <laughs> well, yeah, well there you yeah, go. Yeah. it's it's nice to be well enough for them to be able to take you for granted it is nice yes. yeah, that's true and I yeah of course you don't want them to be anxious about you you know mm. that's not really how it should be it tends to be the other way around obviously um yeah. so uh yeah no I, I I think that's um that's right so yeah yeah thank you thank you not at all. it was really interesting yeah, to yeah. Thank you yeah, very much thank you Well, I hope you found that podcast uh, interview with Catherine um, helpful, interesting, uh, useful. I, I was very grateful to Catherine for spending time talking through what was a, obviously a really harrowing experience and which has only just finished. So thank you to Catherine for that. Uh, now, there's been loads going on in the press about parents and particularly mothers since I last recorded the podcast. Um, I wanted to comment, first of all, on uh, something which I think is quite disturbing, which is a nursery which has been set up by the Harris Federation to offer 55 hours a week of childcare to the most disadvantaged children who are ages two to four. Uh, there's um, a lot of debate about nurseries. I mean, the debate is starting to coalesce around the fact that nurseries are not very good for children and they're much better off in a, a loving home um, where parents are attentive and can give them one-on-one -on -one attention. And not all homes have that, obviously, but if they can have that, that is really good. Um, also, we've uh, spoken quite a lot on this podcast about anxiety, about the issues of separating babies and children from their mothers at a very long age, uh, very young age for very long hours. It's very much dose dependent that the longer a child spends away from their parents, from their mother, usually the uh, more stressful they find it. Now, this nursery is opening up to offer 55 hours a week. I mean, that's the working week is 40 hours. If these children are already disadvantaged, to give them the uh, a really bad start in life by taking them away from the source of love for them is... Uh, 
just crazy. It's very upsetting. Um, and it's something that's heralded as something that's really good because these mothers now, rather than mothering, can go out to work and earn some money. Why isn't the government supporting those mothers at home, uh, both financially and with parenting training, so they can really give their children a very good start in life by being a loving and attentive mother in the home with them? So this is worrying. Apparently they want to open more of these nurseries, which are fully funded for children who are already at a disadvantage from life. They don't they don't recognise the irony of disadvantaging them further by removing them from the source of love and care or what should be the source of love and care for them. And on that um, front about nurseries, there's been a, an article written which uh, looks at childcare outside the family for the under threes, whether that is a cause for concern. And that was published in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. It uh, looks at it, it really looks at all the issues from um, my mother's and childcare podcast, which I recorded with um, Diana Dean, and she is one of the authors of this article. But it's looking at why it's a big issue to be separating children from their mothers at a, a young age, and mainly looking at the source of stress and the effect that cortisol has on the brain. So that's that's been published in the Royal um, Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. It's really attracted not very much uh, attention, unfortunately, because it's not what the government wants to hear. They want to hear that separating children from their mothers at a very early age is um, doesn't affect anyone because the children don't really care who they're with as long as their mothers are doing a job where they're paid outside the home. That's what they think. Um, there was a, an interview, there was a, a, TV, a radio programme looking at the uh, costs of nursery and whether they're basically worth it um, I can I can look it up again if you if you want to hear that back but it basically it costs and this is a figure that's been repeated elsewhere 65,000 pounds to get a mother into work now I don't know how long over that is you know how over how many years but that's a lot of money to spend removing a child from their mother I mean surely it'd be cheaper just to let the child stay with the mother and just to support the mother in the home if that's what she wants to do of course there are mothers who want to work and there are fathers who might look after their children so there are varieties of options but where a mother wants to be at home to be throwing £65,000 at her in terms of um, the the cost that it will uh, be to provide nursery care and other costs associated with going out to work. I'm not entirely sure what they are. It sounds very expensive, but that is a figure that's cost. It, it must mean the government's absolutely desperate for children not to be looked after in a home environment because they will do everything they can to stop that happening. And that, there was a great interview with Mary Berry, our Queen of Cookery, uh, the other day. And it, when she was um, a young mother, uh, she was uh, she decided to go back to work once her children were born, and that was seen as very radical. And her her husband is celebrated as having supported her in that. And it struck me that actually in the fifties and sixties, and even seventies, when mothers really weren't able to work there weren't there wasn't the flexible option of working and there weren't necessarily the jobs for them to do and mothers were at home all day with their children or maybe not all day maybe they went to the shops but anyway they weren't out at work um no one really i think appreciated what mothers did they didn't know the clinical background to the effect on the baby's brain of spending all day in that loving environment 
and so in those days, mothers were at home all the time, but that wasn't really recognised as uh, being of much value because it's just where they were. They had no choice. Whereas now we know how important it is for mothers to spend time with their children in a home setting. And now almost no mothers can afford to be at home. So it's a, it's a complete switch over. It's a real shame that mothers have gone from being able to be at home all day, but they're not appreciated, to having their fundamental role in their child's development appreciated but they are no longer able to afford to be at home full time so that is a that's a real shame and the last thing i wanted to mention it's been a busy time in the media is the interview on the podcast called happy mum happy baby um, there's room for lots of parenting podcasts out there with uh, princess kate i did feel a bit upset that she didn't come on my podcast but I recognised that I didn't actually invite her but the, the headline from that was that she feels guilty at having to work at having to go and represent her her country and the Queen at various events that she feels guilty leaving her children uh, I'm not sure really why that's a headline because it's just a given I think most mothers feel guilty most of the time that's our default setting and having to leave your children um, even in the care of a nanny to go out and meet a million people <laughs> who are delighted to see you uh, no wonder it causes her some guilt, but it's it's good that she names that and recognises it. And there is my podcast on mothers and guilt with Erica Commissar, number five, where she talks about guilt actually being a very healthy emotion. And if we're leaving our very young children and not feeling guilty, then there is probably something wrong with the relationship there that needs to be looked at because uh, we instinctively know that our children want to be with us and need to be with us. And if we don't struggle to separate from them, then that is an issue. I mean, I'm not saying that you should never go away from your children. And it's, it is good, to, particularly, I think, to leave fathers in in the uh, in charge of the children that um, we talk about fathers introduce children to a new level of risk, that they have a different way of, of um, being with their children. And it's really good, I think, to leave fathers on their own with the children. So we're not looking over their shoulders and telling them what to do all the time, because we obviously know how to do it better. So it's good to be be out of the house, away from the children for a bit. But uh, primarily, the default setting is that as far as possible, that babies and young children are, are with their mothers. Anyway, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, I am Claire Pay. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Mothers Matter Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Podcast Mothers. And you can email me on mothersmatter at outlook.com with any comments or suggestions. Um, if you get a chance to leave a review, I've learned that you have to go onto Apple Podcasts, I think, to leave a review, but then it will then syndicate across all the different podcast providers. Um, please do. <laughs> if, you, if you have anything nice to say, I'm always happy to hear it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mothers Matter. Thank you to James Ede from Be Heard, who has done the audio production. And thank you to Mothers at Home Matter for all their support. If you have any positive comments, anything nice to say, please write to mothersmatter at outlook.com. If you feel it's really necessary, please send any constructive feedback to the same address, mothersmatter at outlook.com. And please do subscribe. I really, really would love it if you would subscribe. I'm hoping to do a number of very interesting 
interviews and to give a voice to mothers everywhere. My name is Claire Pay and you've been listening to the Mothers Matter podcast. Thank you.